0: You know, there's something to be said uh, about a, a gospel culture that is, that is shaped by the death and resurrection of Jesus. That when we see how he has modeled the love of God and the hospitality of God by inviting us in to a relationship with him, we model the same. And we want to become that kind of church, a church that is marked by consistency. And that, that, that's a lot of times where uh, effectiveness And success is found in business, in music, in sports. It's by doing the fundamentals really, really well. I remember when I was in high school, I spent an entire summer with a coach working on my craft of becoming the best athlete I could by doing the fundamentals, the basics. We'll see here starting this summer in which football coaches are going to be gathering their players and they're going to teach them the basics, The fundamentals of blocking and tackling, working on technique and getting stronger. Because if you can do the basics, you can learn how you become successful. Well, when we get to the book of Acts, we see what the church is supposed to look like. We see a model of what consistency in the basics looks like. And if we can be faithful as a faith family of doing the fundamentals, of doing the basics of what it looks like to be a faithful, gospel-shaped people, that's where we're going to see the Lord do a work in us and through us for the glory of his name. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're in the middle of a sermon series as a faith family called Sent. We are walking through the book of Acts together, studying this great book of the faith of church history. We titled this uh, sermon series "Sent" because that is the theme throughout the book. You see, we we, we see where God sent his son Jesus to come and be with us, to die for us on the cross, to rise again on the third day. We see that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to fall upon God's people. We've seen that so far in Acts chapter 2. We see throughout the book where God sent his apostles to the nations to get the gospel out, where God sent his people out to make Christ known. And God has sent us To take the gospel to the nations so that all might know and love and follow hard after Christ. So far in Acts chapter 2, we have seen where Simon Peter stood up, preached the gospel. He is a fisher of men. He casts out the net of the gospel. 3,000 people come to faith in Christ and are baptized. Well, then the question becomes, what happens next? What are we supposed to do with this group of 3,000 baby Christians? Will they form a church? And Acts 2 concludes by showing us the fundamentals, the basics of what the early church did in its infancy. So the question is what are the marks of a gospel shaped community? What are the fundamentals that we as a faith family can be modeling and living out so we might be faithful to the text? Well, I put this in your notes the five marks of a gospel-shaped community. And we're going to cover these over the next five weeks as we look at these six verses at the end of Acts chapter 2. These five marks are biblical teaching, reverent worshiping, generous giving, sacrificial living, and gospel sharing. We're going to see a gospel-shaped community and what it looks like, and it's drastically different than the rest of the world. That we see, we are a people who are marked not by hypocrisy or by pretension, but rather a people who are marked by humility, wisdom, grace, and love. We're a people who are honest about our own brokenness and our desperate need for Christ and His grace. That we are a people who are pursuing hard after the holiness of God, of seeking to live a life that honors and glorifies Him. And we see, God has made all of mankind to live in community. We are a people, all of us all over the world, who were made for community. Now, oftentimes, we see this image-bearing take place as people go to honky-tonks and bars and ball games and parks. They're modeling image-bearing. They are longing for relationships. They are longing for community. Well, who put that desire within them? God did. God put the desire for community in the hearts of all men. And you see, ultimately, the reason being is because God is in a community amongst himself. Within the one Godhead, we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one God, the same in essence, equal in power and glory. And within this one God, we see community. We see perfect relationships. We see harmony, unity and love. the father and the son and the spirit. from eternity past into eternity future, all coexist as one God, full of love and truth. Within the Godhead, we don't have hypocrisy, we don't have elbowing for position, we don't see slander or gossip. but we see the three parts of the, the three persons within the Godhead who love one another deeply. And they model community. Well, as image bearers, we reflect that by longing for community. And God ultimately made us to find community ultimately with him and in relationships with one another within the local church. That God designed the church to be the hub in which we gather with other like-minded believers and we grow in the gospel. And so these next several weeks, as we take time to study this text, as we stare at the conclusion of Acts chapter 2, we're going to see how God has made us to be in community, to be in relationships with other believers. And one of the ways we seek to cultivate that here at Westwood is through life groups. And if you're not in a life group, I want to encourage you to take time at the end, the close of the service, stop by the information desk and get a list of life groups and pray. Say, God, would you direct me and my family into a life group where we can make friendships and we can grow in the gospel together, that we can encourage and pray for one another to follow hard after Jesus and to fall more in love with him all the more as we see the day approaching. You know, if there's anything that the pandemic has taught us is that we were not made to live in isolation. As we see anxiety and depression and suicide at all-time highs across the world. It's why. It's because we weren't made to be by ourselves. God made us to be in relationships with one another. And while I'm grateful for technology that's able to connect us together, we were not made for pixels. We were made for people. We were made to be in relationships with one another. And one of the things I want to encourage us to do is to put our phones down and just begin having face-to-face conversations. It's amazing to me the power even of physical touch, that even an appropriate hug, handshake, a a way of, of loving one another and having the proper physical affection is a way of modeling the gospel in the way that God is approachable. And we do that with one another. So this is what it it looks like to be a gospel-shaped people, people who look differently. So let's get into the text, and let's look at these five marks that we already see right here in these last verses of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42, the scripture says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I want to highlight for you, I want you to see here in the text that we're devoted. You can underline that in your Bible. Verse 42, they were devoted. Verse 46, they were devoted. It means persistence. It means to continuously and constantly show strength. It carries the idea of staying in a fixed direction. Uh, The King James translates it, a continued steadfastly. The early church was a group of people who were devoted to one another and to the mission. The text tells us that they devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching. Well, who are the apostles? If you go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 13, we have a list. Luke lays out for us who these apostles were. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James. And then we also see Judas Iscariot is replaced in Acts 1.26 with Matthias. These 12 who had spent three plus years with Jesus, who saw the resurrection, who had been commissioned by Jesus, they were now gathering with these baby Christians and they were together and they were teaching them. Now, what were they teaching? When it says verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, what were the apostles teaching? Well, they were teaching what they had received and learned from Jesus, they were passing along what they had received from the master. Okay, well, what specifically did Jesus pass along to these apostles? Well, he taught them the Old Testament in light of himself. Jesus taught how he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. That indeed, the law of God was pointing to himself. Jesus would teach that the entire Old Testament is pointing forward to him. We see this in John chapter five, verse 39, in which Jesus told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and yet they testify about me. He goes on to say to them in a few verses later, in which he says, for if you believed Moses, you would have believed me because he wrote about me. Jesus is telling them, the Old Testament is about me. It's pointing forward to me. He, in Luke 24, after his resurrection, is walking along the Emmaus Road with two disciples. And he begins to unpack for them all that is written in the Old Testament, how it's pointing to himself. In Luke 24, 27, Jesus, the text tells us that then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And so when it says there in Acts 2, 42, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they were learning how the Old Testament, because the New Testament had not been written yet, They were learning from the Old Testament scriptures how they were pointing forward to Christ. That every text from Genesis to Malachi was pointing forward to the Messiah that's fulfilled in Jesus. And they would teach the church and tell them, hey, we saw him walk on water. Calm the storms. Teach life-altering truths about the kingdom. We saw him raise the dead, transfigure before us, multiply food. We saw these miracles, and we saw ultimately how he was the fulfillment of of doing what the Old Testament said would happen to the Messiah through his death and resurrection. We saw that he was the one who was crucified, and through his shed blood, the forgiveness of sins is available to all. And this is what we rally around as believers, is the death and resurrection of Christ, That's why we sing, we just sing a song boasting in the blood of Jesus. What a weird thing to do if you do not know Christ. But if you know Jesus, that blood is precious. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But praise be to God, perfect blood has been shed for you through Christ. That means all of your brokenness and all of your sin and all of the ways that you've transgressed God's law and all the ways that my heart and your heart has turned away from him, it is still sufficient for you to approach him because of the perfect blood of Christ. Oh, this is what we rally around. And see, as followers of Christ, we don't just celebrate Easter one day a year, y'all. Easter is an every day, it's an every week thing. We rally around the gospel because we are a gospel people. And this is what the apostles were passing on to this early church. These baby Christians right there in Jerusalem, these 3,000 who came to know Christ, and these people, they are devoted to this word. And as the apostles are teaching and explaining the scriptures, the word of God is being brought to bear upon God's people, and they were stirred. Their hearts burned within them. They were hungry for the word. The Holy Spirit was taking these truths of the word and planting it into their hearts. They wanted more. How do we know this? Verse 42. They were devoted to it. They continued steadfastly feasting on the meat of the word of God as they heard Christ preached and taught from the scriptures by his closest friends. And as I think about our faith family, the way I pray for us regularly is that we would be a people of the book, that we would love our Bibles. We would know them and treasure them. We would hide them in our hearts, that we'd be a people who find that His law is sweeter than honey, and that when we study His Word, the Spirit takes the Word and it becomes more satisfying than a five-course meal. And as we begin to fall more in love with Christ and His Word It overflows into hallway conversations, text message threads, the way that we talk and speak with one another, that the word of God just comes out. It's said of Charles Spurgeon that if you pricked him, he would bleed Bible. There was so much Bible within him that even in having a conversation, scripture would just naturally flow out of his mouth. This week, I went to a sporting contest, a soccer game between two titans, two great teams that were getting after it. And I didn't have a a child playing in this one, and so I got to sit back and just watch and enjoy these two great teams compete, and it was physical, and it was fast, and it was great strategy. It was really fun to watch. I enjoyed every moment of it. And there was this moment as an unbiased spectator in which there was a huge collision that took place, and the referee made the correct call there was a mom behind me who disagreed. And so she is giving the referee the what for. She is working him over, just over what he has just done. And I'm sitting here thinking, lady, you're wrong. Okay, but I didn't say anything. You'd be proud of me. (laughs) Y'all take note, coaches, referees can be right. And they want to be, usually. But in this moment... The referee turned and looked at this mom. And he said, I got the call right. Go look at the book. And I turned to the guy next to me and I said, He just gave me a sermon illustration. (laughs) You see, your opinion doesn't matter. What's the book say? We live in a world right now full of lots of opinions that a lot of stupid people like to put on social media. It doesn't matter what you think or what you feel or what your opinion is. What does the book say? Let's look at the book. The book is what governs and guides us, not what we feel or the whims of the culture that's like shifting sand. We are a people who are grounded and rooted on what is true. And you see, your growth as a believer is directly connected to the depth of your study of His Word. Don't miss that. Let me say that again. Your maturity and growth as a believer is directly connected to the depth of your study of His Word. I read that this week in... in, um, in my quiet time, I was reading 1 Peter 2.2, 2, in which Simon Peter, the one who's preaching here in Acts 2, he wrote, like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that, conditional clause, so that by it, the word, you may grow up into your salvation, if you've tasted that the Lord is good. You see, if you skip and you deny or delay studying your Bible, there's gonna be a ceiling to your growth, y'all. You can only go so far as the depth of your knowledge and love for the word. And so what I wanna do for these next several minutes that I've got left is I want to take some time to unpack what does it mean for us to be an Acts 2 kind of people who are devoted to the apostles' teaching. What does it look like for us, Westwood, to be a people of the book? Now, here's my aim this morning. My aim is not guilt. Guilt is a terrible motivator. And that's not a motivation that we see in Scripture. God never seeks to make us guilty to just force us to do something or to obey. No. What I hope to do is to bring forth from the word living water that wets your appetite by the Spirit so that you are stirred and you have a deeper desire to thirst for the Word. That God, by His grace, by His Spirit, would do a work in you that you hunger for the Word of God. Okay, so what does this look like for us as a gospel-shaped community that's devoted to the Word? Well, let me show you these five things. First, it begins with this. You must study the Word. Study the Word the word you see the path to deeper discipleship in your relationship with Christ is not just reading your bible it's studying your bible there's a difference between reading and studying you can read a book you can peruse an article you can skim a newspaper but we must study the word paul tells timothy in 2 timothy 2:15 2 study to show yourself approved unto God. You see, this book breathes. Your Bible that sits in your lap, it is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. And as you get into the book, the book gets into you. And God begins to shape and transform your character, the way that you think and the way that you feel, the way that you view the world, the way that you view yourself. The scriptures are always working. It's amazing to me. uh, We have deacons who come and pray with me before uh, every Sunday morning. And I had two guys with me and I just said, guys, it's amazing to me, the power of the word. It's interesting because you go back to uh, Martin Luther in the Reformation as he's facing, going toe to toe against the Pope. And they're like, how did this Reformation happen, Martin? was a question that someone asked him one time. And he said, I preached the word And then I slept. And while I slept, the word did this work. Jesus tells a parable that the farmer plants his seed and goes to sleep. And while he sleeps, the crop comes forth. And how it comes forth, the farmer does not know. And the point Jesus is driving home is that when you bring the word of God to bear, the word will do the work even while you sleep. You see, there is power in this word. And when you get this word into you, you study it, God begins to transform your life. My fear is that far too many of us will peruse our Bibles the way that we would peruse a user agreement when our phone's due for an update. You'll scroll through it and then say, I agree with it. And we follow the example of Ezra. Ezra in the Old Testament, who wanted to lead and shepherd God's people, Scripture says in Ezra 7.10, now Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord. Obey it and teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. It's interesting there, even in that one verse, obedience and teaching comes after the study. Solomon instructed his son to hold on to his instruction. Proverbs 4.13, guard it for it is your life. May we be a church that act like Bereans. When we get to Acts 17, probably in a couple of years, we see these Bereans who hear the word and they begin examining so that when someone stands up and preaches and says, thus says the Lord, they go, time out. We're gonna look and see if this thing is so in the scriptures. They would examine and listen When you listen, whether it's myself or someone else up here, or you're listening to a podcast, make sure that you've got a Bible that says, hang on a minute, let me make sure that's true. You see, oftentimes false teachers creep into the church and they sound good. They can be persuasive. They can sound smooth as silk. They can make you feel all kinds of emotions, but it doesn't matter how you feel. It matters what's true. And so we must look at the book to see what is right And so we examine the word. So we study the word. Number two, we memorize the word. To be devoted means you must internalize it. You see, when you commit the word to memory, you're giving the Holy Spirit ammunition to help you fight against sin. Psalm writer says in Psalm 119, verse 11, he says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you one of the weapons that God has put into your hands to fight sin in your life is his word. So that when you are in the moment of temptation, when you want to say that word, when you want to do that action, when you have an attitude stirring in your heart, you wield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And that shepherds and guides and helps you destroy and slay that sin that's in front of you. And you do it every day until Jesus calls you home. This is what we do as followers of Christ. We memorize the word. We implant it deep into our hearts. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen, 18, Moses says, imprint these words of mine on your hearts and minds. This week I had breakfast with a couple of men from our church and just part of the conversation, both of them at different times started quoting scripture and how that helped them in times of difficulty in their own lives. One man said when I feel anxiety I go to Philippians 4 which says do not be anxious about anything but with prayer and petition with thanksgiving make your requests made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so for this brother when he feels the anxiety he starts fighting back with Philippians 4:6 this other brother said, you know, that's amazing because there was this season I was going through in which Romans twelve twelve was on the forefront of my mind every time I woke up in the morning. I was dealing with this really stressful and difficult situation. But Romans twelve twelve is where I kept going every morning. You see, I, I have times like that in my life. When I feel fear, I'll go to Psalm 56, 3, which says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. There's times in which I have a lot of stress that's on me. I'll go Isaiah 26.3. It says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So here's the challenge I'm going to lay before our church. Over these next five weeks, I want to challenge all of us to memorize Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Six verses. I'd like for us to memorize this together as a faith family. Something you can do together as a family around your dinner table. But to memorize this text, because I want this to be ingrained not only in our minds, but as it comes through our minds, it comes out to our hearts and into the culture of our church. That we memorize the word. So that's the challenge I want to lay before you is Acts 2, 42 through 47. We memorize it together as a faith family. You may be thinking, I don't memorize scripture very well. Guess what? Neither does your preacher. As your pastor, it is hard for me to memorize. I write note cards, and I just have to keep going back to those note cards over and over and over. It's hard work, y'all. It requires discipline. But I think it's far more important that we memorize the word far more than figuring out who's in the transfer portal for our favorite team. Let's know this book, y'all. So we study the word. We memorize the word. Number three, we meditate on the word. It's this idea of savoring, like hard candy rolling around in your mouth in which you enjoy the flavor. Let's not be so quick to finish our Bible study and go throughout our day and not take time to meditate, to let the truths of God's word be sweet upon our souls. Before Joshua took God's people into the promised land, Joshua 1.8, the Lord told him, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to... Meditate on it, day and night, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. You see, oftentimes throughout Scripture, God's blessing is often connected to meditating on His Word. This week I was doing just a a brief study on the word meditate and how it fits in all of Scripture. And over and over and over, not every time, but almost every time, there is a connection of God's blessing of His people with joy, when we meditate on his word so slow down take your time let the word of christ dwell richly among you fourthly teach the word teach the word now god may not call everyone to be a teacher of the word and we see that in james 3 i think it's verse 1 where he says not all of you should claim to be teachers why Because those who teach will face a stricter judgment. That's reality. And yet, we are to all be teachers of the word. Though we may not have a microphone and stand on a stage, we are those who teach. We instruct one another in our conversations in the hallway, in our discussions around a dining room table. We let the word govern and guide our conversations, even for you as parents. You see, as parents... You are the primary discipler of your children. That's something God has entrusted to you. Now, the church is a partner with the family. That's how God designed it. But the primary teaching responsibility falls upon you as parents, specifically you as dads. Now, some of you dads are sitting there thinking, uh, time out, what? No, 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 you can do this. I have great confidence in God's word that if you just take the book and you read it to your children, God will take those words to implant them into the hearts of your children. You teach your children with the gospel. We see this in Psalm 78, where the writer Asaph, in which he says, uh, we will not hide God's word from future generations. We will tell the coming generations, even those yet to have been born, to put their hope in God. There's an intentionality in which there is God was wanting his people to teach his word to children so that they might put their hope in him. There's an instruction that comes from us. This is what Paul says in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 4, which he says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and the admonition, the instruction of the Lord. That we are regularly teaching God's word. To our children. Like in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see the Shema that, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Teach these things to your children. When they rise up, when they lie down, when they walk along the way, you are continually instructing and teaching, planting the seeds of God's word in the hearts of your children. Now, listen, you may be thinking, man, Kenneth, I am failing miserably at this. What do I do? First step, keep it simple. Your kids don't need a sermon. My kids don't need a sermon. They hear it all the time, okay? They just need the word. So I would encourage you tonight after dinner. Say, guys, before we leave the table, let's just open up the Bible. I just want to read a small passage of Scripture, and we're going to pray. Let's start there, dads. That's an easy layup. And here's what I've found. If you start hitting layups, you start winning games. You start hanging banners. You start getting crystal trophies. It's simple discipleship. It's kind of like if you want your children to have the depth of an Olympic-sized swimming pool, all it takes is every day you throw in just one bucket of water. And over years, day by day by day, you're just planting those words. You're bringing God's word to bear upon their life. You keep throwing those buckets of water, you're going to have a deep pool of truth that your children will have have when it's time for them to go off. It's a teaching of the word. This is how we are to be a people who are devoted to the apostles' teaching. Fifth and finally, we must obey the word. Obey the word. James says, don't just be hearers only, but be doers of the word. You know, oftentimes in the Great Commission, we'll focus and emphasize the nations, and rightfully so. But when Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey. Teaching them to obey. We want people to learn to obey what Jesus said. All that I have told you. We teach people to obey the scriptures, that we do what it says. We're not just those who are storing up what's true in our mind, although that's it's true, it's gotta be lived out, y'all. And the concern that I have for many, I don't think this is where we are as a church, maybe for some of us, is that we become like a sponge who receives so much water, eventually, if it is not wrung out for the good of something else, it will begin to stink and rot and become moldy. If you're someone who continues to receive the word and you're not doing anything with it, you're gonna become like that sponge. You've gotta wring it out. You've got to go do something with what God has given to you. So you take what you have received and you go and bless others. So, Kenneth, what are you calling us to? It's your impact point, and it's this. Devote yourself to becoming a lifelong student of God's Word. Sitting on my bookshelf in my office at home is one of my most treasured possessions. It's my grandfather's Bible. And in this Bible is his written name. And as he was fighting dementia at the end of his life, his hands would also shake. And there are passages of scriptures that he was underlining, and it's more like a scribble. And I treasure it. In the columns are written things that God is teaching him. And I look at that and I thought, man, that's exactly how I want to finish in my late 80s, if the Lord wills. Just still studying my Bible, loving my Bible, making notes in the margin of the new things that God is teaching me from his word. And this is what it looks like to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. But we don't wait till we're 80 to get to that point. It's every day, setting aside time, where you open your Bible you study, you memorize, you meditate, you teach, and then you obey. And this is what we do for the rest of our lives until we go see Jesus. Let's be a people of the book.